In 2016, scientists on Earth detected a fast radio burst from a distant region of space with no observable SARS. The following transmissions were declassified by the scientific community and given to us to present as the Binary Saga. Log entry, Heimavina 66, 2370, Age of Enlightenment. Hey, Jason. For a change, I get to show you something cool. Okay, let me set this right here and back up. Greetings from Alondra. I'm currently sitting on the back patio of the main house at the Vinstrasa family compound in West Brengard. Not too shabby, right? The main house is behind me, and it's massive. Let me switch you around so you can see. Isn't it nice? It's all pretty amazing. I feel like I'm in the future, but it also looks a lot like Lulean architecture. Same stone and wood exterior, same massive windows, and solar tiled roofs. I live in the west residential wing. See where I'm pointing to the top floor? Those three windows you can see right at the corner, the ones with the wrapped balcony, that's Andy's apartment. Okay, if I pan further around, you can see the other massive houses farther down the beach, which are also part of the compound. Andy's great uncle Kolvar and his husband Jeff live in that first one, and their three kids have homes farther down. The rest of the homes over there are for live-in staff, several cousins, and guest houses. I feel like the Jorgensen estate could literally fit inside the main house. <laughs> Maybe not, but this place is huge. Here's the best part. Ready? That is the beach, right on Brengard Bay, which leads directly out to the Hera Ocean. Let's walk down to the beach. I'm going to hold my feelstone in the water, and hopefully you can feel it. All right. Can you feel the icy water? <laughs> Woo! I'm going to set the camera facing towards the ocean so we can watch Lithia set while I talk, and we can pretend that we're just hanging out on the Yana. Where Javi grew up sounds really lovely. And what a great place for a needed vacation. You both definitely needed a break. I can't even conceive what an outside orchard would look like, as all of our produce is grown in greenhouses. But the pictures you sent look incredibly peaceful. The festival you described sounds a lot like the Mirror Light Festival. And I love outdoor events that bring the community together, especially ones that have good food and drink. The next time I see them, I'm definitely going to challenge Lars and Mikel to try to brew citrus. Maybe Javi can send a couple of bottles in the next probe? <laughs> I bet if my grandfather can taste it, they can replicate it. I have so many happy snowflakes for you, and you know the girls and I love all the dirty details. Your first time sounded so lovely. Outside, in a field, looking at the stars. I absolutely love it. I'm sorry. As you know, in my culture, we are very open and positive about intimacy. And I'm very happy that you were in the right headspace to truly enjoy that time with Jerry, even if it was just for an evening. And don't be embarrassed. You know, I've only been with two people. My first experience was awkward. Hark and I had just graduated from university, so we were practically kids. And at least we were each other's first lovers, so we bumbled through it together. And then he dumped me. <laughs> Andy has only ever been with one person, too. And he said his first experience was impersonal, because Mia didn't want to be with him. She just wanted to tell people she'd been with him. You remember my encounter with her at the gala? I have to say that your first experience sounded just about perfect. I understand that the Velen mating ceremony is quite lavish, but the pairing tradition sounds incredibly romantic. And I think I would have liked to have experienced that. <sighs> anyway, there are so many things about melon culture that I think are very touching. And I know your culture doesn't marry forever like us, but I've always liked how honest Velen's view relationships. Because it's true, sometimes things don't work out. And that's why we take our vows so seriously. We have so many rituals and ceremonies. And while some are very lovely, others can be quite barbaric. Wait until I tell you all about the ancient traditions surrounding the house rules and rites. We'll get to those one day. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, I'm really happy for you. 
I think you of all people, as an astronaut and a pilot, will enjoy hearing about my first experience with space travel. I'm attaching so many videos, but tonight I'll just tell you the highlights, and you can watch the videos later. The journey started with my first ride on a space plane. We took off like a normal plane from Birksat spaceport and climbed until the normal engines cut out and the pilots turned on the rocket engines. According to Helgi, the engines on the new Aero series planes are much better than the originals, so there's only a small jolt when we switch over. The Aeros don't have very many windows, and the ones that are present are small, so the experience was a little disorientating. I knew we were hurtling through space towards JSC, but I couldn't feel or see it. I tried to relax and do some work, but eventually I had to close my desk. I looked over at Andy, who was completely unfazed. He had his headphones on and was typing away on his desk like it was any other day at home. I sat there, tapping my fingers on my knees, until Andy reached into my pocket and took out my field stone. And he put it in my hand, and then he slipped his headphones over my ears, and he turned on breathe. And I closed my eyes, and pretty soon we were landing at JSC. Sadly, we weren't there long enough to see the facility, and as soon as we walked out through the pressurized gangway, we were headed down towards the starship. As I told you last time, we traveled on the Hausvenstrasse family flagship, which is comparatively smaller and faster and much more luxurious than the fleet of starships that Vinstrasse's maintain for business travel. Most of those are currently used to move house employees between the colonies, and they're still building new ships for the Heimavina route. Aside from me, everyone on board was either a Werkstatt executive or a Lithians who work for Hausvenstrasse making the trip home. Jason, walking into the starship was like walking into a private yacht. Everything was covered in sleek, light wood paneling in modern, minimalist style. The lights in the ship are artificial, but designed to imitate natural sunlight. The main gallery of the ship had real plants, and the ceilings were vid screens that made it look like a sunny day. There was a dining room for those who wanted to dine outside of their staterooms, and a small lounge for passengers and crew to enjoy. The ship had an observation deck, and a small gym, and a sauna, and there were also several living rooms, one with art on the wall and reading chairs, and othered with vid screens and sofas. And I couldn't stop gawking, and Andy had a great time watching me try to take it all in. It was my first step into his world, and it was amazing. We were on the observation deck when the ship lifted off from JSC, and it was so smooth, it was almost like pushing a segment away from a dock. I was surprised my fieldstone didn't turn into dust because I was squeezing it so hard. When I saw Heimavina in the background, my breath caught. Andy stood behind me and wrapped his arms around me and whispered, It's overwhelming the first time you see your planet from space. And he was right. I felt so small and insignificant. And I almost collapsed. I wasn't prepared to see the planet like that. And I started to tear up. You have sent me so many pictures from space. I thought I would be ready. But now seeing it in person... I can't even find the words. And then the captain made an announcement asking for all the first-time passengers to find sofa seats in the observation deck before we made the switch to interstellar. And I found a seat, and I looked around at my fellow Heimavinans, and we all just nervously smiled at each other. Andy kissed my hand and said, it'll be okay. And then we watched the shields close around the windows, and I squeezed Andy's hand in my fieldstone, not knowing what to expect. But I didn't feel anything. There was no drop no difference. And everyone laughed, and I realized that it was a little stunt they'd pull on us newbies. I released his hand, and I stretched out my fingers, and I realized that everything started to tingle. It was an odd sensation. I tried to roll out my shoulders and my neck, but it still lingered. The medical staff came around, checked our vitals, and told us that the tingling sensation was a harmless side effect of the subspace shield generators that resulted in heightened senses. The captain informed everyone that we were on our way and welcomed us aboard, and said that we would be arriving on Alondra in a few days. Andy introduced me to the crew members he was friends with, and the captain personally greeted us. Then we were escorted to the private family staterooms, and I almost fainted again. It was like walking into a grand hotel suite. The decor matched the rest of the ship's interior, and the suite had its own sitting area with a dining table attached office, and a couple of bedrooms with ensuite bathrooms. Andy asked if it was okay for a few days, and I told him that I could probably make it work. 
<laughs> and when he kissed me, I felt my lips tingle. And I touched my lips. Andy raised his eyebrow and scooped me up and carried me into our bedroom. Interstellar. That was a new experience for both of us. And it was... I highly recommend it. <laughs> the trip was really good. It was like being on a cruise liner, except you can't go outside. With the shields up, there wasn't much to look at. So we both worked, which helped pass the time. We hung out in lounges and had dinner with the captain and some of the other passengers. I did feel a little claustrophobic at several points, and Andy took me to the meditation room. I sat there holding my fieldstone, and he helped me calm down, and I stopped thinking about the fact that I was hurtling through infinite inky blackness of space in the equivalent of a fancy tin can on my way to the original ancient colony. And then I would remember that I was traveling on my boyfriend's family starship to his homeworld. The whole thing is a little surreal, honestly. I have no idea how you do this for a living. <laughs> As we got closer to arrival, I could tell that Andy was getting more and more intense. I finally asked him what was wrong, and he told me that he was worried about how I was going to react to Alondra. He tried to explain that his world may seem a lot like Haimavina, but that it's very different. And I knew what he was saying on a conscious level, and I was touched that he was thinking about it. But something made me start laughing, and I couldn't stop. Andy asked me why I was laughing, and I said, I almost thought you were going to tell me you were married or something. And Andy looked at me very seriously and said, Well, yes, but you will love my other wives. And I stopped laughing. And then he started laughing, and he wrapped me in his arms and said, No, Manasseh, you are my only love. I love him, but he can be such a casipa. <laughs> Later that afternoon, we arrived on Alondra Prime. Alondra is much bigger than Haimavina. We joined the docking pattern that was mesmerizing to watch from the observation deck. We eventually docked in a berth at an enormous space station that serves as an orbital terminus for the Alondra Prime space elevator. Those are all words I would never imagine I would ever use in everyday conversation. Andy is heavily involved in the Haimavinan space elevator project, and he's explained the concept ad nauseum. I admit, I had trouble conceiving of what he was talking about until I actually saw one. And even now, I don't believe it's real. In layman's terms, a space elevator is an asteroid with a huge space station built around it, parked in geostationary orbit. From there, massive cables reach down to another terminal facility on the planet's surface. Pod-like vehicles travel up and down the cables between the surface and the station. There are complicated physics at play here, and it's not my field of expertise, but Andy says the whole thing is much more efficient for moving cargo and people than using rockets. As the rest of the passengers were escorted to the station's medical bay, we were met in the ship's gallery by Andy's six-man security detail, a nurse and his executive assistant, Tom. After Andy introduced me to everyone, Sam the head security agent gave me a quick rundown on the procedures and gave me a new bioban. The nurse gave me a quick shot in the arm that included a secondary biometric tracker, several vaccines, and an immune booster tailored to my DNA. He told me that I would feel a little tired this evening, but that I would be back to normal the next day. Everyone said they were happy to finally meet me and welcomed me to Alondra Prime. The space station looked a lot like a commercial airport back home. People looked like Haimavinans, just going about their business, getting to their flights, and passing us as they're glued to their hand terminals. I think maybe a few actually noticed us, but either stopped to stare or take a photo as our entourage walked by. I kept my head up and walked like Juniper taught me, with fierce confidence and purpose. In truth, I was crushing Andy's hand and freaking out inside. At the space elevator, we stepped into the passenger car that looked a lot like a fancy train car with comfortable stadium seats and a small bar. Everyone in our car had been on our ship, so there was some comfort in that. We were escorted to our seats and got strapped in, and suddenly I found myself looking down at the planet. I fainted. When I came to, a smiling nurse in front of me told me it was a perfectly normal reaction. I felt better when I saw a few other Verkstad executives in the same situation. Andy was holding my hand and listening to Tom give us a rundown of our calendar for the rest of the week. Tom leaned over and kindly told me that his wife is also afraid of heights and that she can't even climb a ladder. 
The remainder of the ride down was uneventful, but slow. I mostly leaned against Andy, trying not to notice the planet getting bigger in the windows. When we finally emerged from the elevator station, I stopped walking. I could feel Alithia's heat warming me. I took a deep breath of the cold, heavy sea air, and it smelled different and sweeter, with a slight hit of citron and woodsy smells. And I laughed. I was on a different planet. Andy, who was still holding my hand, pulled me in for a kiss. And when I opened my eyes, I was half expecting to wake up back in my apartment at the Jorgensen Estate, sitting alone on my bed. But then I saw Andy's blue eyes, and he said, You're not dreaming, and neither am I. He picked me up, and I wrapped my legs around him, and he spun me around, laughing and kissing me. Anyway, it still took us another hour or so, by shuttle, to get to the Vinstrasse compound. And here I thought I was impressing Andy, but his family estate has its own landing pad. We walked into the lovely foyer that opened to this massive great room with high windows facing the beach and ocean. And I smelled the familiar aroma of Raytheia's amazing cooking. And she ran down the hall and threw her arms around both of us in full-on extra mom mode. I couldn't get over how amazing the main house was. It's hard to explain, but this is one of those places that feels like a family was raised here with love. I can easily imagine kids chasing each other up and down the halls and out on the beach, comfortable furniture begging to be napped in. And I knew what Andy meant all those years ago when he said that he was home, <laughs> because I felt the same way. I have to tell you about the next morning, because you will laugh. I woke up to a low rumble and something furry nudging my face. I opened my eyes to a pair of big gray eyes and long white fur with shocks of gray and tufted ears. The thing slammed its huge head against my hand as if to say, hey, you're awake, so you should pet me now. I sleepily scratched its ears like I would a farhoon. Then it hopped on the bed next to me and stretched out and started pulling the, at the blanket with its claws. Every child born on Haimavina can recognize an ice lion cub, and where there's a cub, there's an adult. I slid backwards towards Andy who was still asleep next to me, completely oblivious to the danger that we were in. And then the thing flipped on its back to show me its furry belly and started to rumble louder and nudged me again. As my panic rose, Andy reached across me and rubbed its belly and said, Hey, Sterling, how did you get in here? And I looked at Andy in utter shock and asked him what an ice lion cub was doing in the house. And he was completely confused as I hurriedly told him that these things grow up to be very deadly and reminded him of Iria's story, and I warned him that an adult would be close by. And my fear slowly shifted to confusion as Andy laughed so hard I thought he might pass out. Once he stopped laughing, he explained that Sterling was something called a cat, which to me looks a lot like an ice lion. <laughs> Apparently, Sterling is full-grown, and is mostly harmless unless you have dried fisca in your pockets, which I most certainly will not. Upon hearing his name, Sterling climbed over me and onto Andy's chest and slammed his head against Andy's chin. I laid in stunned silence while my boyfriend snuggled with this cat. <laughs> Sterling and I have since become buddies, and he's very sweet, even though I still think he might rip my throat out given the chance. He loves to be held, but I can barely lift him because he weighs almost half as much as me. He stalks around the main house with his huge plume of a tail, like he owns the place, which as far as I can tell, he does. It's been a pretty amazing and overwhelming year. Andy showed me around the city, and we've gone on short weekend trips, and he's taken me sailing, and it's been fun to be on the other side of the tour. I finally got to meet Andy's group of friends that he talks about endlessly. Their little group have known each other since law school, and I was welcomed like one of the gang. Andy's best friend, Gaius, is an entertainment advocate, and he basically gets paid ridiculous amounts of money to write up studio contracts. His partner, Joel, is an independent vid producer. Catherine and Titus have been together since university and work at a venture capitalist firm as tax advocates. And Brand is a Samcoma legislative aide who falls in love with every girl he dates. And they're all a lot of fun, and the girls are going to love them. As usual, I've been working a lot. 
I've split my time between the Hausvenstrasse corporate offices and the Verstadt offices in downtown Brengard. My primary task has been negotiating the contract for the mineral deposits I told you about. It's been a whirlwind, and I won't bore you with the gory contract details, but I'm very good at my job. Let's just say that my dad has been pleased, and apparently I've earned myself an actual vacation. <laughs> the Sam Como building in Brengar is very impressive, and I've had to make more than a few visits for meetings and negotiations. It's a large, circular building, like ours, in the center of the city, surrounded by gardens and wide pathways. The massive pathway and park leads from the Sam Coma to a monument that marks the original landing site and pays tribute to the first Hoxa team to step foot on Alondra Prime. Beyond the monument, the pathway leads to a large circular reflecting pool, where a statue of Haimavala Prime slowly spins above the water. Helgi took me there the first time, and we just stood there and watching the globe rotate above the water. The memorial plaque still reads like we all died. Helgi, seemingly to read my mind, said, It's weird, right? I think it's weird. <laughs> Speaking of Helgi and Juniper, their place is amazing. It's actually very close to the Vinstrasse compound, so of course, I've been over there quite often. Being around them made everything feel real. The three of us had some good talks about the differences between here and Heimavina. They've also been giving me the hard sell on life here, claiming that House Jorgensen would do better if its scion was working from Alondra Prime. <laughs> I guess I don't know what I was expecting. Alondra is a lot like Heimavina, just more futuristic. Aside from obvious things, like interstellar travel, they use shuttles in lieu of hoppers, and still fly supersonic planes to travel around the planet. They have vehicles, and hand terminals, and sit at cafe shops. And the most notable difference is how many people live here. Alondra's population is many times that of Heimavina. The cities are massive, and the suburban areas just stretch out forever. Interestingly, the major population centers are still on the coasts. Even though there's no Sittasanda, people live and even take vacations in high altitudes, which is utterly alien to me. But between you and me, I feel overwhelmed. Probably much like Andy did when he first came to Heimavina. And I think I finally understand what Andy was talking about on the flight out here. It's a lot to take in, and we really haven't even scratched the surface of this planet. I don't know. I sit out here on this beach and I look out to the Hera Ocean and I think of how impressed I am that the ancients found such a beautiful world. And now I know that our ancestors didn't forget about us. They used their resources to create a new world for our people to expand. And they had their own struggles and conflicts through the centuries. But the end result was five habitable planets. They may be in awe of us for rebuilding on a graveyard world with no advanced technology. But I'm in awe of what they've continued to create. We're planning on a much-needed vacation, just the two of us, on Andy's new segment. Andy and I really need this time away from everything. Since the attack, we've been leaning on each other a lot. And while I'm in a good place, I've tried to ignore my lingering anxiety by overworking. Andy has been very supportive, but I can tell the stress is getting to him as well. Well, we figured if getting away helped you process what happened to you, maybe it'll help us too. As for who or why, I haven't inquired. And I'm not sure I really want to know. The plan is to sail around some islands where the water is apparently so clear you can see the ocean floor and warm enough to swim in. I can't even imagine what that would feel like, but I'm really excited to find out. I guess it's my turn to take a sailing trip and send you photos. Love always, CJ, age 36. Log entry, Bella 66. Bella Rotat 2691, cycle 10 of the 7th annual. Hey, hey, CJ. Congratulations on being the first of the two of us to step foot on another planet. I'm not counting moons, and since I never actually went down to Fenora, I bet you always thought that it would be me, but you did it. I could not be more proud of you for it. Those first few views of your own planet from outer space are really awe-inspiring. Knowing that you can see everything that makes up the life that you lead down below, all encompassed in the view in front of you, that can be really awe-inspiring. I still think about it when I go up. Now you have experienced it too. Think about this when you are looking out at Haimavina, 
you can see islands, land masses, water, trees, mountains, and valleys. All of that in a single view. But it's what you don't see that's the important thing. You don't see the houses or boundary lines or, in my case, the sects or regions. You just see your home, the planet itself, living below you, suspended in space. Now you have seen that twice since you got to see both Haimovina and Alandra. I can only imagine how that would be like to see another whole new planet that is bustling with the life that grew out of your own. You described Alandra as being big. Is it even larger than Haimovina? Our astro-scientists tell me that your world is actually a significant degree larger than Vela. So the thought of a habitable planet out there that is even bigger is mind-boggling. There are times when I catch myself just looking out the viewports of whatever craft I'm on when I'm in orbit around the planet and just staring, trying to pick out the little features that I can recognize, like the coastline along Senoth near Trainaar, where one of the many launch facilities is, or the wide-open fields near Filnaar. Did you do that when you left? It sounded like you were a little nervous, which is completely understandable. If you didn't, make sure you take a moment or two to really look at your homeworld from that perspective. I don't know how to explain it, but in a way, it kind of changes you and your views on things. I'm sure I don't need to explain this to you because now you have experienced it. You are now a space traveler. I think all of this introspective talk is because I'm so happy for you to be experiencing something that feels like part of my life. Sometimes it's hard to express in words, so now I can just tell you about a feeling and you will know it. I'm so proud of you, Siege, for taking that step into the space plane and going up. Your description of the vessel you were on, Andy's family craft, sounds amazing. All of the sleek lines you showed in the videos make me a little jealous of how good it looks. The craft I get to ride on are mostly prototypes or works in progress, so we have open panels everywhere. Seems like every wall has some sort of a panel with vid screens and buttons on it. The engineers tell me that most of that will go away with the final version when the SI handles most of those functions. I look forward to the day when I can ride on a sleek looking vehicle like that one. Hey. I wouldn't even complain if you wanted to, I don't know, on your way back, maybe take a quick stop off at a neighboring wayward planet. I'm not sure where Alandra is in relation to Vela or Haimovina, but you never know, it could be on your way, or at least a small detour. On top of everything else, you got to experience an actual space elevator. CJ, that is something that we've only ever read about in sci-fi stories. The fact that the Alithians managed to actually create one is outstanding. I'm astounded at even the thought of it. I mentioned it to some of our engineers here, and they said that it had been theorized to try and build one here on Vela, but the shift in land masses and the tidal changes make the thought of it almost impossible. They also had to take into account the axial tilt of the planet, and it just isn't feasible. They peppered me with a thousand questions about it, and I had to fend them off. I explained that you're not an engineer and we're on your first trip ever off planet and you didn't even have time to ask any of the questions about how something like that would work. I bet you were more concerned with taking your next step and contemplating how high up above the planet you were. So I doubt you were thinking about what keeps you there as long as it did. Without something like the elevator you were on, they have instead been building up the various launch facilities here on Vela. I wish that Papagista was around to see what Trainar itself had grown into. Mom would tell me about how they would take trips there to watch launches back when it was just a single pad, and how he would tell her stories about it being built up from nothing twice. Now it's an entire city on its own, designed around space launches. There are landing strips and pads to accommodate the largest of craft. I would think that if they were ever to implement some sort of an elevator, that it would be there as the anchor point. But at this point, I think we haven't identified the need for it. I still like the idea of something of that scale, though. I hope you cherish the memory of writing something like that, even if you might have been unconscious for part of it. You mentioned the need for a good vacation, and it made me think of some of the plans in the works here. They are actually building a new station in orbit that will be 
get this, a hotel for tourism. Crazy, right? They have managed to bring the costs of launching craft to and from orbit down so that it costs about as much as a normal airskiff trip from Senoth to Sonoth. So a few private companies are funding a full-on vacation spot to be built in a geostationary orbit above Senoth. It will actually be following close in orbit just above La'ar, so I won't be able to see it in the night sky from home. But when I visit the city, there will be a new star in the sky. I know it's nothing really new since they have built a few stations now that are all up there in some fashion or another, doing research or as stopping points for other missions. This one is different though, because it will be the first time that anyone would have the chance to go up and experience all of those things I described earlier. So when you're thinking about potential locations for your upcoming vacation, you could maybe add that to your list. It should be a very cool spot, and I think that they are planning on working in all of those sleek lines and luxury accommodations that you got to experience on Andy's craft. I'm sure he would like to see the top-down view of the planet that your school has been talking to this whole time. I know that our cultures are different, and we talked about the concept of how mana keep animals in their houses. I like the concept of the Farhoons, but a baby ice lion? Did they bring a dangerous native animal from Haimavina to Alondra and domesticate them? There are times that I think that some people on your planet and the ancients that were there before might have been a little crazy. Was there someone way back then that saw an ice lion and thought, I want to pet that. And their friend turned to them and said, even better, let's take one with us to our new planet. There are so many animals that live here on Vela, and we have never really had any as pets. So I don't know that anyone even thinks about it now. We even had some up on the research crafts with us on missions. Many of the crew would start to become attached to them, much like you do with some of your animals. Don't worry, none of them were harmed in any of the processes. They were all there for observation to see how their different biologies adapted to space travel. Personally, I like to visit with a little Kiori that we all named Prue. She was the only one that never freaked out when they had to do zero-gravity tests. In fact, I think she looked forward to it. She could have been a test pilot for the VSA on how little fear she had. Okay, I do have some incredible news that I can finally share with you. You remember the craft that I was testing when I had my... incident? The CS line of craft have been in development for Rotats now based on a combination of ancient and modern Haimavinan tech with Velen technology to bring it all together. It really is a hybrid of all of our cultures mixed. Even though the first version failed, they have learned from that failure and kept building to make a new craft. The one I was on was named the CS-1 in memoriam of the Crimson Sun. Well, the CS-2 pulled away from Chone orbit three cycles ago and initiated its first test of the jump drive. Don't worry, this time they wanted to take more precautions so there were no Velens on board. It's all SI controlled. All of the initial tests of the drive came back with no issues and right on schedule, the ship disappeared. I know that sounds bad, but the coolest thing about it is that that is what's supposed to happen. That's how the drive is designed to work. It targets a location in space and calculates all of the objects in space to project the mass of the craft to that location. Now for the bad news. The projected location that was calculated was supposed to be just outside of Fenora. As of right now, the ship has not appeared anywhere it's supposed to. Instead, they are getting some strange signals from Key. Key is the furthest planet in the Von La system. The VSA thinks it might be the CS2, but they aren't sure yet. They only started getting the signal this cycle, and the CS2 launched three cycles ago. Time lag from here to key is only about seven quarter tides. It's a big mystery right now, but everyone at the VSA is actually pretty excited about it. Nothing appeared to go wrong, so they don't seem overly concerned. For now, many of us here doing the pilot thing are just anxiously awaiting our turn at the seat. Speaking of taking a turn in the seat, I have run into a minor snag in my certification as a pilot. 
You remember that vacation I took to Javi's father's place? Before and after that, I was doing a lot of work at the SI lab. Well, it turns out that while I was busy with all of that, my certification lapsed for my pilot training, and no one actually bothered to tell me about it or notify me. Because of this, I have been knocked back to trainee status and have to attend remedial instruction to regain my flight status. CJ, this is so embarrassing. I have to go to all of these classes with a bunch of new pilots and go through all of the courses like I am fresh out of the academy. As you can imagine, Javi is having a blast making fun of me over it. Sitting in the training room with pilots who are all gasping every time I walk in and asking me questions about various missions I was on, like I'm some sort of legacy. The first time I walked in, some of them even thought I was there to teach the course and were confused when I found a seat in the back. Then they thought I was there to evaluate the instructor or some of the other students for some special program. Even the teacher was confused at first. I spent six full annuals getting my status back to normal and endured every form of embarrassment you can imagine. All of the instruction was about things I did on a regular basis, and some of it were new policies and procedures that were based on some of my own findings. I had one instructor actually question my responses on emergency evacuation procedures when exiting an unresponsive ship. The original policy was to restart the system three times and pull open one of the control panels behind the pilot's chair to reseat the ejection module. When I turned in my paper on the subject, I pointed out that the module is behind a system-controlled panel that, if the computer is unresponsive, won't actually function and that you needed to acquire a force-controlled access rod in order to open it. It's a pry bar that we use to break open things in the ship. It's not an official piece of equipment, but every one of us improvises one when needed. When the teacher questioned me about it, I explained that I had to do something similar on three different missions, then pointed him to the request for change that I submitted on all of those occasions to have the training altered because of the inaccuracy. I even played back one of the missions where I demonstrated how the instructions he provided failed, and he passed me with no further questions. Needless to say, I finished all of the re-instruction again, and graduated. Again. This time I got top scores and was the head of the class. So now I can officially say that I'm the best pilot at the VSA since I have done it twice now. Take that, hobby. Now I'm back in CNR at my apartment near the marina, waiting for word on my next assignment. I made sure that the resource division has updated my paperwork and I even have copies saved locally and notifications set up on my system to remind me for my recertification tests should any of the official channels fail. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that sometimes bureaucracy can be a pain in the neck. Before I drift too far from the topic of Javi, I gotta say, he's surprising me. He's seeing someone pretty steadily. Yeah, you heard me right. He's seeing someone steadily. They've been seeing each other for about two annuals now. As far back as I can remember, he's never really been one to stay with a single partner for a long time. Just when I thought he might be getting serious with someone, they usually part on good terms and he moves on. As much as he would give me telek about it before, at least with him, it was a known constant. But he actually seems to like Kane. Even weirder, I'm barely getting any details without prying for information and even then, it's a lot of smiling and maybe a shade change of his scales, but no real talking. I'm just glad he's happy. So long as Kane treats Javi well, he's all right in my book. Some interesting news from my mom came through as well. With the prospect of being able to ship items to and from Haimavina, the council has started the conversation amongst themselves of reaching out for trade talks with the Samcoma. The probe that we sent there was very successful, and they have started working on modifications on the craft, and others like it, to carry more capacity. Like, a lot more capacity. Granted, it still takes a long time for the craft to make the trip, but with compartments for temperature and atmosphere control, 
they have realized that they can send almost anything now across that distance. So plans from many of the private companies are being made to ship various goods to Haimovina in exchange for items there. Most of it involves finished products like furniture, some food and drinks, and medical exchanges. But there's a huge desire for Haimovinan raw materials. Also, there are certain rare pearls that are harvested in the southern regions of Senoth that have sparked an interest there. It sounds like they are still a ways off from finishing the initial proposal that would lead to some talks. But mom tells me that they have made good progress and it may open up a chance to send someone there eventually as an ambassador to continue the work. I'm sure that whoever they send will need a good pilot to bring them that distance and ensure their safety along the way. So cross your thumbs that a new mission will be added to the board soon. In the meantime, I've been filling the remainder of my time with executive shuttle flights to and from the different facilities and working with the labs on new prototypes and integrations with the SI team. Ugh, I can't wait to get back up into space. There are a few big missions that are upcoming, but we aren't allowed to talk about them yet. I can say that it will be further than we have gone before, and I should have some great photos for you when they happen. May the waves guide us. Jason, 36. Login tree, Haimovina 67, 2371, the Age of Enlightenment. Hey, Jason, I'm happy to get your message. My family arrived a couple weeks ago, which I'll explain in a minute, and I asked Tara Lou to forward any incoming transmissions. It's good to know that she didn't forget. It's summer here, and Brengar basically shuts down for several weeks as everyone takes vacation. But my family seems to have found a way to sneak in work instead of relaxing. Vera scheduled several speeches at the Samcoma before their legislative recess. And Lars is currently a visiting coach for Team Brengar, presumably teaching them how to sail. <laughs> Except for my mom, who has completely embraced the summer holiday break. I usually find her, Mari, and Andy's aunts poolside in the afternoons. I would join them, but it's way too hot for me. You would probably love this weather, as I understand Vela is pretty warm. Back home, we have mostly two seasons. Brengard, which is located in the western continent of Salona, has four unique seasons. I love the perfectly crisp feel of host, probably because it feels most like Habnina's weather. The air is an incredible fragrant mix of pine and spice, and the temperature is mild and cool. Andy actually brought me a candle based on this scent years ago, which is probably why I love it so much. Winter is much like ours. Cold, snowy, and lovely. I'm far less a fan of Vor than the others, mostly because the winds are awful and mixed with rain and sleet. And then there's summer, which sucks. <laughs> Maybe I'm just provincial, but bring me crisp nights a big fireplace, and a pile of blankets to snuggle under. I can't believe Javi is in an exclusive relationship. I got a message from him, and after his usual flirting, he told me all about Kane and even sent me a photo. He's very cute. Please tell me they're still together. He was so excited. He almost ran out of breath listing everything that he liked about him, and Javi being Javi gave me a tour of the ship and told me, his bunk was big enough for three if I wanted to swing by on my way back. I legitimately laughed out loud, and I told him that we would have to wait until the space hotel was completed. Andy overheard this from the other room and came in and sat in front of the camera and proceeded to tell Javi in great detail that he should know that I take up all the room in the bed and steal blankets. <laughs> this coming from the guy with cold feet. <laughs> Blanket stealer. Vera may have already said something, but you can tell your mom that the Department of Trade and Economics have assembled an advisory panel in anticipation for potential trade talks between the Empire and Vela. Our economies are vastly different, and the panel is beginning to look at the issues like currency conversion, tariffs, customs, and a host of other issues. If they open the panel to the private sector advisors, I'm going to try to angle my way in. 
I do have previous experience with interplanetary trade negotiations and some unique connections to both the Empire and Vela. If selected, I'll see what I can do about requesting a specific delegation. Presumably, you'll need at least two pilots. <laughs> I promised Javi that he could stay in our guest room, but what I didn't tell him is that we have two guest rooms, and you can have the bigger one with the bigger bed. He's used to small bunks, so we don't want to spoil him too much. <laughs> Speaking of space travel, what is this jump drive aboard the CS2? Did I hear you correctly? That would be an advance ahead of even the Alithians. I'm sure it beats out a four-day trip to Alondra. Don't get me wrong, the trip was lovely, but it would be nice to make the trip instantly. Do I need to make lunch reservations if you can jump to Haimavina instantly? And no, I won't go as far as to call myself a space traveler. I have only been on one starship, while you fly in space every day. I told Andy that we're taking the shuttle up to the house ship when we return to Haimavina, because even the thought of that elevator ride makes me woozy. I hadn't previously realized I was so afraid of heights, and now I don't even want to look down from my office at the Ventrasa Plaza corporate offices. The twins have had way too much fun with this, and I can't even threaten to have their big brother beat them up, because he's usually laughing along with them. I've attached pictures from my office window that I had Andy take. I'm working out of the Vinstrasa family's private corporate offices while I get the House Jorgensen presence set up here. I'll probably end up leasing a couple floors in this building, maybe a little closer to the ground. <laughs> Working out of a building named after your family is a little bit of a trip, and more than once I thought about what my and Andy's ancestors did to get where we are. I learned from Andy's great-uncle Kovar that the Vinstrasa family were among the first colonists on Alondra. They arrived with basically the clothes on their backs because they sold everything else to afford passage on a crowded colonist ship. They clawed their way to house status, with hard work and ruthless guile. The Jorgensons, much like the Fjallstads, had house status before the Sittasanda, but our matriarch at the time, Anyenka, was the Prime Minister of Lulea and refused to abandon her people. She played a key role in moving the survivors to Stromsheim, and our family flourished on her reputation. I sometimes wonder what they would all think of us now. Speaking of houses, do you remember the stories about the house warfare that my dad used to tell me when I was a kid? I grew up thinking that these were just scary stories to make me follow the rules. But what I've learned since the attack against me, that the house warfare is very real. Andy's story isn't unique. In fact, just recently, Rob Selvig, an heir apparent to House Selvig, was kidnapped. Rob managed to escape, but only because his security team sacrificed themselves to get him out. Both Andy and I have reached out to him in case he wants to talk. But we haven't heard from him yet. Rob's attack resurfaced a lot of my anxiety, which is totally understandable. I thought about what you said, and I began asking questions. And the evidence suggests that my attackers were from Ghana. It still gives me the shivers to think about what they might have done if they were successful. Raythea caught me crying on the sofa in Andy's apartment one night several months ago. Andy had gone to Helgi's with his brothers and dad for a boys' night. When I was looking forward to Joel's latest vid, while enjoying a bure and some snacks. But you know how it is. Something sets your emotions. And all of a sudden, I was in tears. And Raythea sat next to me and put her arm around me. And she told me how her father died in a mountain climbing accident when she was a little girl. And how much she missed him. And she said it was pretty hard on her and her mom. And while they fought all the time... They still protected each other. And then she told me that she thinks of me as a daughter and would do anything to protect me. And Jason, I believed her. I had been missing my family, and it was nice to hear that. And then she asked an odd question. What would I want to happen to the people who hurt me? And I whispered that I wanted them dead. And Raythea looked at me and quietly said, they are, my dear. The subtle smirk on her face left no doubt in my mind that Raythea was telling the truth. When I didn't ask for details, and I don't care, I just hugged her and whispered, thank you for telling me. And she kissed my forehead and said, come on, sweetie, Juniper's here. Let's have a drink. 
And I can honestly say that I've been sleeping better since learning that they won't come back to finish the job. <sighs> anyway, this might be of interest to you, only because it smacks of bureaucracy. That night, the three of us had more than a few drinks, and Juniper told us about an attempt by the Lithium fleet to assist the VSA in tracking down the lost CS2 ship. She said the fleet attempted to reach the last known position of the CS2, but as they got to the Eluda Van La system's halfway point, the entire first fleet was notified that they were about to cross into restricted airspace. When I asked her what that meant, she said the best guess was that the Samcoma had decided to restrict operations near Vela until diplomatic talks were completed. Her and her officers complied with the warning and turned around and notified the VSA that they couldn't help with the recovery. She laughed and said, apparently the Samcoma forgot to notify us of their decision. And I told her about your flight status and she spit out her vin laughing. And she said you should demand two paychecks since you qualified twice. <laughs> Between work and the stress of Rob's attack, we've been putting off our vacation. Meetings on top of meetings, public events, little fires to put out. I was working late in the office again when my hand terminal chimed with a message from the Lithium Fleet Comms Network. It was a message from my dad that read, You're in the office, aren't you? I thought I told you to take a vacation. Love, Dad. I looked around, foolishly thinking he could somehow see me. And then I walked down to Andy's office, and Andy looked at the message, turned off his computer, stood up, and said, Let's get out of here. We sailed out of Brengard that weekend on Andy's new segment. He named the Solfilgo, after a myth of a bird that dies in a flame and is reborn from the ashes. Which was fitting. We sailed around for three months, stopping at little villages and uninhabited islands and swimming in the ocean. Swimming in the ocean still boggles my mind. We didn't have any terminal service, so we did zero work. And we only answered messages when we were in port, and only then from family. Andy was worried that the segment might be too small, but it turned out to be perfect. It has three staterooms, so we stayed in the largest and used the extra space for supplies and sail bags. The interior design was clean and bright, with a comfortable saloon and a well-equipped gallery. It's basically a little flat that we can sail away from everything. It might sound large, but it was designed to be easily handled by two people, with running riggings accessible from the cockpit. I attached a bunch of pictures of the segment, and the places we anchored, and the towns we visited. Towards the end of our trip, we anchored in an exclusive clove off a tiny island with a white sandy beach and not a person in sight. The weather was perfect. I grabbed drinks below and I returned to find Andy asleep on the cockpit with his digital reader on his chest. Because there was no one around, I decided to do something I would never do. I took off my bikini and settled down on the deck with my towel, my reader, and nothing but sunscreen. It was amazing and super liberating. Eventually, Andy woke up and joined me. Maybe it was the weather or letting ourselves be soulful girls. But as we laid there, I could feel our anxiety just burn away, finally. The next morning, Andy surprised me with real Lulean Cafe that he smuggled back and told me, Happy anniversary, love. It's been 10 years since the day we met. And he said he had dinner reservations at this charming hillside restaurant in Vasa, which was our last stop. And I told him how much I loved that he remembers the little things. And then I handed him his anniversary gift. It was a new Ocean Master watch he's been eyeing. Vasa is probably the fanciest tourist town I've ever seen. Luxury yachts docked in the small harbor made Andy's 54-foot segment look like a dinghy. Homes cling to the hills that surround the harbor, and it almost looked like Old Town Stromsheim. Andy told me we were staying at his family's vacation townhouse, and part of me thought he was joking, but we were met by a driver who took us to the Vinstrasse family townhouse. After ten years, I really shouldn't be used to Andy's little surprises. Anyway, the townhouse was spectacular, and we started getting ready for the afternoon while getting used to being on land again. 
and I noticed that Andy's nervous tics were back, moving his hair behind his ears. And I asked him what was wrong, and he said, I just want tonight to be perfect. And I told him it already was. And just then, our hand terminal started beeping like crazy, and we saw the articles. While Andy and I were on the deck the day before, a paparazzi photographer with a long lens was taking our pictures. I was embarrassed, and Andy was furious. He called the Hausmann Strasse Council's office and his mom to figure out our next public response. Raythea had already spoken to my dad, and they said if we make a big deal about it, so will the gossip broadsheets. You've probably seen the pictures, because I know they hit the Haimovina gossip sheets and the network. When we left the townhouse for the afternoon, we were mobbed by paparazzi, so we decided to fly home that afternoon, cutting the last part of our vacation short. Andy had to hire a crew to sail the segment back to Brengard. Back home that evening, Andy was defeated. He collapsed on the sofa in his apartment and pulled his childhood blanket around himself. And I joined him, and he put his head on my lap like he usually does. And I played with his hair, and I told him about the cute guy with the bright blue eyes, who was so thoughtful. He walked all over town to find a cafe, just the way I like it. And then I said, Looking back, I think I knew that moment I had met my husband. And Andy sat up and looked at me. And I grabbed his hand, and both of her eyes were filled with happy tears. And I said, Andoen Venstrasse, will you be with me from now until the end? And he said yes. When we stopped kissing, Andy laughed and reached into his battered canvas satchel he carries with him everywhere. And he pulled out a jewelry box, and he explained that he had planned to ask me to marry him that evening in Vasa. I tried to apologize for stealing his moment, but he said that this was perfect, and he wouldn't want it any other way. Inside the box was a match set of platinum rings with our family runes engraved on them. He told me that it's an Alithian custom to exchange rings, which are worn on our right hand to show that we intend to be together forever. On Haimavina, we would get matching hofflor, but I think this custom is better, and definitely more elegant. The next morning, Andy's family was being lazy in the kitchen and drinking cafe. Andy told me not to say anything, because he wanted to surprise everyone. He grabbed his favorite mug and quietly tapped it with his ring when he filled it. Then there was silence for a moment before the twins descended on me, and I don't think my feet touched the ground as I was picked up and hugged by all of Andy's brothers. Reese and Raythea cried and hugged us both, and I sent a message to my parents through the Lithian fleet, and their response was, finally, we're leaving today. They arrived in time for a huge sun and brunch to celebrate our engagement and are staying for the rest of the summer. In retrospect, we should have just got married right then, but we want a traditional ceremony. We'll probably be engaged for a while. As you can imagine, both of our families have plenty of thoughts and opinions regarding the ceremony. More importantly, we need to pick a good place for the dual stack party. When is that space hotel supposed to be finished? Will it have a starship dock? Maybe a cool bar? Hopefully by then, the diplomatic restrictions will be lifted, or maybe they can make an exception for me, as I am the future Grand Matriarch of the Mana Empire. <laughs> can you imagine our gang together, finally? Mother's breath. We'd have to rent out the entire place. It would be the party of the century. <laughs> and if it works out, you guys can come back with us for the wedding. I'm serious. Let's think about this. Love always, CJ, age 37. You have been listening to an episode of Binary Saga. The part of CJ is played by Vanessa Shannon Anderson. The part of Jason has been played by Steve Petricelli. Music by Eric Matias and soundimage.org. Thank you to our Patreon members, Rob and Mary Carnahan. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting our Patreon page, which can be found in the Where to Find Us menu on our website, or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook with at TheBinarySaga. Want to ask us questions? 
you can join us on Discord for general chat. Find all of these links and more information at BinarySaga.com. You can also read the print version of the entire first and second season in Kindle or paperback form on Amazon. Print versions include a number of extra stories and background information. Just search for The Binary Saga.